0: LifeWay Lifeway. Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the 5 Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and I am by my onesie today. I'm Sans Daniel and everyone else. It's just me and my good friend and frequent guest on the podcast, Kevin Peck.
1: How's it going, Todd? Glad to be with you again, man.
0: It's going well. Now, you've been on man you have I don't I don't know that you've ever been on by yourself. You're always in tandem in connection <laughs> with somebody. And these right. are not the best characters to be associated with but it, it has been in the past Eric Geiger yep uh, when we were walking through design to lead um, which you know we reference on the podcast now and again. everybody needs to pick up design to lead. you will particularly love. Uh, chapters like seven through nine, right there in the middle is where um, we really, you know, are focusing in on uh, on pipeline. So a lot of what we do in Leadership Pipeline with Lifeway is really the fleshing out of that section of the book. So um, just love, love, love the resource that you all have created there for churches. And then also with us, you do a learning community. And You guys were the first ones that we partner with to do the learning community. Kevin's been you've been with us since the very beginning. I I think I've been here now seven years. You were the one of the first people that I contacted and and really talked to about creating Leadership Pipeline and LifeWay Leadership. You were on our advisory board since it started. Uh, And so we're super grateful to have you have you on board.
1: Well, you've only, uh, you've only gone up from the seller. so you this kind of true. start with what you could get and then add on to that some talent and some knowledge.
0: Yes, uh, but you you know, st- If you can't be the best, you can be first. Yeah, but you stay with us. We've, we've, we've <laughs> kept you on board the whole time. And what I was mentioning there is the a strategic learning community. Um, I just got a, actually a, a text message uh, this morning from a pastor in Memphis who was asking me more questions about it. Um, he was going through Oxano's Horizons process. He's like, hey, how does this dovetail with that? You know, and I'm like, well, one is, you know, really about vision and some of the implementation of vision. But this is, man, this is a lot of practical stuff in the day to day, but also the season to season leadership of a church. You want to talk about uh, strategic leadership?
1: Yeah, we, you know, one of the things that we've kind of seen in the church is there's um, so many great ways to learn about leadership, so many different kind of perspectives to learn about leadership, whether it's kind of leading expositorily through the text, or maybe even kind of building leaders through leadership pipeline. But one of the things that Josh Patterson, who I lead it with, who's the lead pastor of ministries over the village church, One of the things that we had seen that there was just kind of a a little bit of a a space there and people learning to lead strategically. One of the things that we meant by that is actually not just thinking strategically, i.e. kind of thinking in a way that helps say, how do we get our organization from A to B or from where we are today to where we want to go? Uh, But strategic leadership we see is how do you take a group of people, a a team with you along that journey so that they see the same problems that you see and they actually see the same solutions that you see to that problem and can be a part of it. Um, And so one of the things that we've done is put together these learning communities uh, where people not only learn to think strategically, but more importantly, learn to, uh, to lead strategically and kind of taking their whole organization with them. Um, as they not only solve problems with the organization, but actually kind of navigate getting the organization from where it is today uh, to where they believe that God's leading them to go. So it's been really, really fun to watch uh, people not only kind of get the content, but ox- actually also have modeled to them um, kind of the process of bringing people along with them in the strategic thinking process. Sweet.
0: Well, um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about that because we, we really consider that one of our flagship, coaching opportunities throughout the year Uh, and it really is up close and personal with other guys who are going through the same Mm -hmm. process those cohorts are small so a a dozen to 15 guys tops and um, I, I just think it's it's one of the best coaching opportunities that we offer through Lifeway so I wanted to highlight that Um, But let's get into five leadership questions. Although you've been on, you probably do hold this record. You've been on more times than anyone else and not actually answered any of the five questions. (laughs) Well, I'll try to avoid them then and just answer random questions. Okay. Well, okay. No, no, no. Okay. First question, who are you currently learning from?
1: You know, right now, uh, I'm, I'm walking through a, a, I think a second or third time actually through the book, team of teams by, uh, Stanley McChrystal, Stanley McChrystal really, really sharp thinker. I know a lot of folks are reading it right now, but, um, been pertinent for us right now because he actually describes a similar context that we find though, uh, certainly a, 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 different theater that he's, he's thinking through, but um, where he just talks about the fact that teams have got more complex and the world has got more complex, and therefore it's kind of leading to a more cooperative style of leadership that really takes kind of teams of teams and not just a team or a team around a leader, but teams of teams um, to solve these complex problems. And it's been interesting for us just here at the Stone because this it just I think we're on the you know at least culturally speaking a little bit on the cutting edge of watching the speed of change, um, kind of accelerate communication styles, complexities of relationships. And just the fact that people have tons of different access to new sets of data and ideas are flying around the globe at such a rapid rapid speed that we're actually just seeing this kind of same problem that problems are not just occurring, but they're occurring faster and changing faster than ever before. And, and so we're trying to figure out this kind of like, how do we engage those problems with not just, a solution team, but how have, have to be a closely networked and cooperative kind of team of teams uh, for the staff as we keep solving more and more complex problems here in Austin.
0: What, what I think is really interesting uh, about that book and understanding it is just if you look at the way the military has just completely Flipped upside down on hierarchy and chain of command mm. and all these things that were once in place. Um, and now the team of teams approach where it's, it's so even churches, churches have a tendency to, um, because of risk. Mm-hmm. that leads to centralization. So when you think of, you know, the greater the risk to an organization, which is usually over the course of time as it grows and becomes more successful, they fear more risk. Uh, right. And so that it leads to more centralization and control and all that. Talk a little bit about that book from the perspective of how strategy shifted and how that applies to a church because, you know, I don't want to deviate and do a complete, you know, book breakdown uh, the way that we sometimes (laughs) do on 50Q, but man, Team of Teams is an amazing book. And so break that down for how that is applicable for the church and for your church and for your team right now.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that we saw was um, there's just, you know, really I want to highlight the speed of change. I think that's been a big, uh, I think that's been a big shift that we're having to deal with as not just a, a whole culture, but even within the, the specific leadership of the church. I mean, if you think about it from like, you know, even 15 years ago, if you were a, uh, uh, you know, if you were on the senior team of a, of, a, of a church staff, you know, and let's say that you're something like 45 years old. Um, 15 years before that you'd have been doing youth ministry, but the reality is the youth ministry might've been really similar from the time that you were doing it to the time that it was today. Totally. Um, and I think the reality is that we're kind of finding out now that, you know, for some of our t- people on the senior team, the ministries that they're called to speak into, um, are utterly different, uh, than they were, uh, when, when we were in those ministry roles. And so you, you find yourself, uh, you, you know, just in the same way that the military was looking at this, you had generals who had commanded battlefield operations 15 years before, and there's generations where technology was advancing slow enough where their 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 experience from 15 years before was applicable. Uh, but, you know, just telling my kids today that, social media wasn't, didn't even exist, much less the internet, you know, the internet didn't exist when I was in high school. And so if you think about uh, when I was in high school and my experience in youth group is utterly different than the experience that my daughter's going through as a youth. And so if you're asking me to kind of speak into the youth ministry today, I'm coming to realize that while some major principles may still be applicable, the change has been so significant that my experience is less and less valuable as the speed of change increases. And so what that brings us to now is we're more and more reliant on the, on the ground leadership to be able to, contextualize the message of the gospel, uh to contextualize the means of relationships, to contextualize communication, to textualize meeting strategy, to contextualize all of these different things, um, where my experience in the past has is, is less and less and less helpful um um uh, at just kind of a, a at the macro level and really particularly even more so at the micro level. So as we're sitting around uh in team meetings, uh, you could centralize decision-making because uh, it, it, in seasons of slower um, speeds of change you, you know, the, the people at the senior tables experience is more applicable um, and now there is principles that are applicable but but actually the details um, it's all different so we, we stand to now serve as a pool of wisdom and a buoy to keeping things theologically sound or philosophically sound, but so many of the decisions actually have to be done, um, at the grassroots level. Um, just because things are just so different than they were when we did them
0: at that way. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes total sense. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I would say is, you know, if we go back to design the lead for a moment and we talk about, you know, conviction, culture, and constructs, or mm-hmm. you talk about the culture piece specifically, culture is really, shared behavior at the end of the day. Right. And so, you know, at the at the top the things that are most visible are those artifacts, the the logos, some of the frequent sayings, that that language piece or the vernacular of your church and culture, then you get into articulated values and then finally underneath here's what is actual and here's mm-hmm. is what is actualized in the culture. So, I think one of the biggest disconnects that organizations and churches are currently facing is when you do not have crystal clarity and alignment with the person who's making a decision, if they don't have alignment with your vision, values, you know, passion, like if they don't understand those things, Mm -hmm. they cannot make decisions, good decisions in a timely manner. So you do your people a great disservice the more complex your organization and the greater disconnect between what is actual and articulated when it comes to your values. You put people in a very, very bad spot to make good decisions. So if you find people within your organization are making bad decisions, don't necessarily blame them uh, because you haven't, You know, done a great job of training those people and helping them understand, or even selecting and putting those people into a place where they can make good decisions uh, based on who who your church is and those things. And a lot of times, I think it it comes down to complexity. But
1: well, it's really interesting too because I I think one of the one of the observations that General McChrystal makes in that book was that he had to actually change to a learning posture. Um, because he couldn't, he couldn't assume that his, his own presuppositions about the context were true anymore. Um, and I think that's a, I think that's a true learning right now for a lot of senior leaders in churches, uh, to realize that the, you know, the college students that we were reaching when we planted the Austin stone 16 years ago, uh, those college students are in their forties now uh, which is just insane, uh, to think. So, uh, when, you know, I'm, you know, we're thinking back and just saying, okay, when we planted the Austin stone, the current college students that are there today, uh, uh, were something like two years old. They were learning to, they were learning to walk. Right. Um, and so for us to assume we kind of get, so to speak, the average college students would be insane because they think about how much has changed in these 16 years. Um, you know, we didn't ha- you know, you didn't have it, you know, the average person didn't have a cell phone. Those were for the wealthy and, and now they've had them since they were 11. Uh, and it just, it's just, it, we're just finding this really, really interesting. So we're learning that we have to actually listen, uh, to people who may have uh, more cultural knowledge, but might not have more ministry knowledge, might not have more theological knowledge. And we're going to have to solve the problem together because just because they're young doesn't mean they're going to have the right answer intuitively because they get the culture. You're going to have to, you're going to have to learn to work together. So the principles that we've learned over the last 16 years still matter. Um, But to assume that the principles are going to apply in the same way, we actually are lacking some information that we have to get by partnering well with young leaders. And so we're we're even more dependent on one another rather than them just coming to us and getting their marching orders uh, like a, uh, like the army of the old. They, they now actually have to come and collaborate with their generals to bring good principles to bear on new contexts
0: right 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 and so man that is so good because it really is the more you have to understand what matters most number one so it can't be tertiary issues and these things have to be principles and the clearer they understand the principles the greater success they're going to have at contextualizing is that correct That's right. I
1: mean, they they actually can't just get uh, marching instructions because the marching instructions might be um, uh, unhelpful. What they need is actually to thoroughly understand the principles and the theology behind what we're asking them to do so that they can become the experts,
0: as it were, of, of bringing that to bear on the culture around them. Good, good. The only other thing that I would draw out from that book, well, there's a bunch of stuff, but the (laughs) thing that I'll draw out before I move forward, because we can't spend the entire time on one question, uh, is that, you know, the the understanding that um, teams of six are kind of like the ideal Mm. number, you know, and a lot of that's based on just communication chain that happens. There's actually 15 different lines of communication. in a team of six which is crazy and then it just Mm -hmm. rises exponentially from there what we typically think of is you know hey 12 a team of 12 to 15 is fine well no it's not because it really starts to to break down once you get up there so definitely pick up that book and and take a look at it all right i'm going to move us to second question and that is what is the main point of emphasis for your team right now at the stone and kind of break that down
1: yeah you know it actually is fairly connected the the us learning from this book actually is in in some part in our trying to understand and engage a particular issue for us right now which is how do we maintain kind of clarity and accountability to one another in our team in the context of such high innovation so we're just kind of looking around and just realizing that like our team is actually changing you know really significantly when we're year five of an organization, whether it's a replant or a plant or a restart. Um, the reality is we've been, we've been at this 15, 16 years now. And, and so there's people that have, when they think about our history and the things that matter, it's like 15 years of narrative pops in their head. And then we've got a significant number of people that have 15 months of narrative in their ha- head. And so we're just really trying to work on, Um, how do we actually have clarity around expectations? How do we have clarity around accountability to one another? Um, while we have both people that have been here for 16 years and people we've brought onto our team that are here to innovate because they're, 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 they're here and new and it's a good thing to continue to innovate. So we're learning that we're also kind of learning about, um, you know, for more clarity about how our city's changing. I mean, it's just, it's difficult to keep the entire team, um, on the same page about, um, what, you know, quote unquote, they are like. And so when you start talking about our city, um, you know, the, the Austin of 15 years ago is not the Austin of today. And so you might make some bold statements like Austinites are X, Y, Z, um, but after 15 years of growth in the last 15 years, kind of increasing our population by almost 400,000 people, um, you would be talking about two different sets of people if you talked about Austin 15 years ago versus today, whether it's generational or cultural or um, the diverse makeup of our city now. And so we're just talking about how, how do we actually have clarity on not just what we mean by we, um, but what we mean by them. Um, and not only that, you know, just lastly, like we're seeing like a real fluid definition of terms, you know, when we said, words, you know, things like words, like movement or, um, or discipleship, what, what was meant 15 years ago by the guys, um, kind of establishing culture here. It, um, we have a different set of heroes and a different set of contemporary writers that we're reading. Um, and that's changing. And so we're having to go back right now and really work on, and our leadership team, what is clarity and what does accountability look like between us? So that our terms are the same, our frameworks, our paradigms about who we are, who they are as our city or the people around us. And then what do we mean by these actual simple words that we're using? we actually have to go back and define those things. It's really crazy right now.
0: That is. Well, I mean, you know, because it's never been so important to be clear and it's never been so difficult to be clear.
1: Oh, man. I mean, it's just really interesting. I mean, if you think about just the evolution of the way that we use the word gospel. Now, in some ways, that's a timeless definition of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's always been there. Uh, but, you know, Todd, you and I have been around here long enough to know that um, you you didn't you wouldn't say something like, I just need a gospel myself 15 years ago. That, right. That, that actually would sound heretical. You'd be like, wait, you want to You think you are the good news to you? Uh, And yet there's a vernacular now. And so even the word gospel, um, uh, is we we see it being utilized different. Even if we're trying to, we have a definition for it and, and we're firm on that it needs to be that, but just even bringing those kind of nuances to how the words are used and to be clear on the actual definitions of them so that those don't change, but at least to be aware of how it's being used in Christian vernacular, um, it's taking more and more time all the time because of things like social media are just redefining words all the time. Um, and so as we bring people into our, our leadership body that have one or two or three years of, of salvation under their by, belt, but they become members of our church and God gives a ministry. We can't just assume that they have the same definition as it were of a, uh, a thousand different words that they're going to be using. So we're just having to go back through that all the time and just reemphasize, um, How we can be clear with one another. So,
0: I think that's one of the most interesting things we do uh, an exercise during um, Pipeline Coaching Day where I'll say a word and every the interesting thing about nouns anyway is there's actually an iconization of whatever word you say. So you know, Mm -hmm. you said flower, that just made an image of a flower pop into your head. Now the the question is did the thought that i meant to convey actually create the picture in your mind that i wanted to create right and so you know we we go through an exercise with blank boxes where they draw it, and then i say daisy and then i have drawn in my two boxes the same thing both times and the question is you know if i meant to say, if i meant daisy then i needed to say daisy not flower mm-hmm. i hope that's not too uh, odd or, or, um, I hope that translates via podcast, but it is an important (laughs) exercise to understand, you know, that when we say words build worlds or, you know, use things like that, it's not just a trite thing. It's really understanding what we mean, especially, especially in our context. So I think that's massively important. Okay. What are one or two things other than read the Bible? Uh, What are one or two (laughs) things that you have to do every day in order to, you know, be ready to lead?
1: Yeah. I think for me, a couple of things I've just, man, I I know probably people are better than I am, but I've just found that um, if I'm, if I'm doing well in kind of one of my self-discipline habits, I'm doing well in them all. And if I fail in one over time, I just actually start failing in them all. So I'm just, you know, I think, I think kind of the, uh, you know as i hit as i hit midlife over the last couple of years just realizing that not just time with the lord of course but also kind of time in uh, exercise time in study um, time in relationships all those kind of all those kinds of disciplines i've just found that they're just Really linked. So I'm, I'm discovering, although my theology was already there, I'm discovering that I'm a person that's both spirit and flesh. That I'm, a, I'm, I'm both kind of a, a material man and I'm in, and an immaterial man, and and just realizing that those two things go to, they just go to, they go together. So, time that I have to do is there's 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 actually several things that I've got to do, um, but I think one thing just to kind of for me, I just to point out that was that a lot of times those things aren't separable. So I always tell my accountability folks like, Hey, you can pretty much ask any of these questions. And if my answer is no, you should ask about all the other ones. Uh, cause if it's no to one over time, it's going to be a no to all. Um, so that's one. And then I think the second one, I think this one's the one that has become most near and dear to me lately is that, um, I just have deliberate times during my day that every day I need to stop and, and hear from my immediate family members. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm finding that, uh, the more and more people that kind of ask for my time as a leader, uh, the more I don't give it to people who won't ask for it. And, um, um, I'm just finding that, you know, kids are awfully bad about, uh, about patterns and rhythms in terms of asking for attention that they need in, in a way that's just explicit. So both for my wife and for my three daughters, um, I have a time with my wife in the evening after the kids are up in their room doing homework and going to sleep. Um, But I have time with my kids right after school where I actually just kind of stop and say, uh, what was a blessing today and what felt like a curse? Those are kind of our, our liturgy, if you will, is just asking those two questions like what was a blessing today to you? And and they may, you know, my 10 year old, she's a little bit crazy. She might just say, well, it was, it was pizza day. So that was massive for her. Uh, She really likes that gross pizza they serve at school, but she's, she's (laughs) just a blessing to her. Um, whereas like my older daughter will, will say the exact same thing was a curse, but, uh, but then just asking what felt like a curse today. And, and and we frame it like that because a lot of things that feel like curses are actually blessings from the Lord. But, um, just asking those two things, um, start conversation. And, um, I've just found that asking those two questions on a regular basis, um, allow me to actually lead the people that, um, that matter most, um, to me, uh, that if I don't ask them, I'm not going to know them. If I don't know the sheep, I can't feed the sheep. I can't love the sheep. I can't protect the sheep. And just remembering that those people that live under my household are my sheep and, um, and, and I want to know them. And so that's something I got to do every day is not just ask them questions, but stop and deeply listen.
0: That's good. So what are some of those, uh, some of those rhythms outside the, that daily time I just ask you what you do every day but Hmm. are there things that you do you know kind of monthly quarterly or even you know sporadically that you would also say hey here's a couple more things that specifically with my family and leading leading well how I do that yeah
1: yeah well specifically with family we have a couple of rhythms I think just rhythms are really helpful the more my the more of my kids get into the teenage years, the more it's like herding cats. Um, they have lives, and um, they certainly are engaging those. So we have, a, we have a couple of rhythms that I think are helpful. And, and some of them, uh, I think the first couple of years that we did them were maybe a cheesy thing, but they've turned into something they look forward to. We do annual goals and hopes, is what we call them. We kind of have five categories, so we'll, we'll we'll go to well, we go to this place where the kids can get cake and they, they like it. So we'll go and get a big booth at the place where we can get cake, and uh, someone will bring an iPad and we'll draw them out. But everyone kind of sets a faith goal or or hope for that year. So it's pray more or um, you know work on a particular attribute of character. So everyone kind of set sets up a faith goal. And we do faith, we do family, we do fun we do relationships and then we do work slash school. So everyone kind of talks about those areas. Um, and it's, it's fun for leadership. And then we basically take them. And, uh, one of the, one of the kiddos that we have does uh, calligraphy. That's kind of one of her things. So she always makes us something really pretty and we post it up in our family room, um, where we can kind of just continue to have hope and goals and faith for each other for those years. And we get to return to those. And then I actually kind of, uh, take a picture on my phone and I just resend it out over text and email and uh, on a monthly basis and just say, "Hey, how's everyone doing?" and and we'll engage that. So that's fun. Um, Saturday feedback is my one of my favorite and
0: least favorite simultaneously. Well, I can I know about this and <laughs> I don't I don't yeah. know if it was
1: this This one smarts a little bit, especially when they become teenagers. Uh, on Saturday, each, I'll take uh, one of my girls out on a Saturday a month, uh, for breakfast. So the other ones get to sleep in the other kids and mom get to sleep in. But, uh, this is when I just say, Hey, uh, you know, give me some feedback. We, we talk about hats in our family that, especially for the, my daughters that are believers at this point that have professed faith in faith in Christ. we talked about, you're not just my daughter anymore. There's one kind of power dynamic that exists between father and daughter, but they're also now my sister in the Lord, sister and brothers. And they that's a different, that's a different power dynamic. And so um, on those Saturdays, we sit down and say, okay, to my daughters, you know, feel free to take off your daughter hat and speak to me like a sister and tell me some places where you feel like I'm, I've been weak or need to grow or have sinned and need to seek forgiveness, or repentance from you. And man, those things, those, those can be really, really rich Saturdays, but they're often pretty tough, tough Saturdays um, as my girls, um, get to speak back to me the way that they've seen me walk with Christ and also seen ways that I've, uh, I've walked in the flesh. And so this has been really good, good, good leadership. It's hard to lead when you're not giving people a chance to speak back to you, especially if you're in a position of power and the fact that they have no money and I have some money means I'm always in the position of uh, <laughs> my teenagers. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a kind of a freebie. Tell me where I've failed. And so I think that's good. And I think the last one I give you is, um, I still do this regularly. This is every week I'll, um, I, I do my, uh, I do my, my, my journal and prayer time, uh, in Evernote, which labels me as a nerd, which is not, not untrue. It's true. I it's also read true. science fiction a lot. So, uh, but in my dorky self, I actually Bible journal and pray in, in Evernote. And, uh, once a week I'll share those out with my kiddos and my wife and just say, Hey, feel free to read and respond to this, but it just not only allows them to, um, you know, read what the Lord's teaching me, but it's an opportunity to model to them kind of a a real walk with Jesus that they can see that dad struggles and disbelieves and doubts and all those kinds of good things. So I think those are some of them. If that's, if that's helpful at all to someone, I, I hope it would be.
0: Well, I I think it is, you know, most of the time when we're asking uh, the question, you know, what's leadership in your home look like, a lot of people will say maybe kind of similar things, but they don't give the actual practical ways that they do that. And so it's very good to hear, it's very good to hear, oh yeah, well, I, you know, take the take my journal. I'd basically journal in Evernote and I send that to my family yep. or, you know, the types of questions that you're, you're asking your, your daughters and your wife. I, I think that one of the things that um, is super helpful is hearing, you know, that it is a, a good and a bad conversation. It's not a good and a bad conversation. I'm sure it's a great conversation, but you know, when they call you out on something, mm. I mean, I've often been convicted. Am I upset with my children because of something they've done or because they basically just emulated me and I'm, I'm not <laughs> happy about it? Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, it's it's if if there's one thing as a Christian dad that uh, other than teach them to trust in Jesus Christ that I want to teach them, it's how to repent. Um. I, I don't know about your day, but I look back and there's more moments of disobedience to Christ than obedience to Christ in most of my days. And so if, if I want them to walk in happiness and holiness, it's going to be found by getting lower, not getting higher. Um, and I want my daughters to learn that the forgiveness of Christ is offered every day over and over and over and over again, and that life is found in humility to him and, and humility to others. Um, and uh, so that Saturday feedbacks, um, what I think is so important about just kind of giving the questions. And as you can tell, I'm kind of a bit um, structured in the way I do these things. I just found that God really does breathe through normal practices. And that if everything is kind of miraculous or this big moment, um, I've just learned that that's just not the way relationships work. And often, and certainly with some of my with my daughters, um, if I ask them every once in a while to give me feedback, um, that muscle is not strong enough to to say things honestly to me. Um, but if I'm asking every month, then I've just found that they, they strengthen their muscle at being able to say, dad, you hurt me here. And, um, I think that, um, I think that you were wrong here. That's just some muscle they have to build to be able to be honest with someone in power like that. And, um, I want to give them a, I want to give them an, uh, an opportunity to grow there and not just once
0: in a blue moon where they probably don't have the courage to do it. That's good. That's good. All right. Let's, uh, ask our final question. And that yeah. is, what would you tell your 20 year old self about preparing to leave?
1: <laughs> <laughs> this feels like it could be one of those moments where you're like, just stay in college for five more years. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, I think, uh, you know, if I could just reemphasize that last thing I said, because I think it's true. If, if I were going to talk to my 20 year old self, I would tell him how important the daily and the non momentous is in, in leading a, a, a healthy life with Christ and making progress in leadership is those daily non momentous things. Um, you know, as you look for leadership examples, especially now in the age of kind of social media and, the age of outrage and all those other kind of nomenclatures that we have for leadership. One thing points to is people are into the spectacular. Um, but I think the, the people that are still walking in their forties and their fifties and their sixties, I've yet to find one that survived from kind of the miraculous to the miraculous. I, I think most of those people who are still leading after 10, 20, 30, 40 years Um, I think it's people who've learned to embrace the daily and the non momentous. They're, they're people that says, um, I'm going to get up every day and I'm going to get in the scriptures and I'm going to speak with the Lord and I'm going to repent and I'm going to be humble and I'm going to serve. And, um, I'm going to, I'm going to be present for my family. Those, those are the things that I would, I would tell myself as a 20 year old is, um, those things that seem non momentous are the most momentous things in your life.
0: I truly think especially Especially in this day and age, that is one of the the key things you know if if um, Uncle Screwtape had a new <laughs> card to play, um, yeah. that is that is today's card, simply because it's you know, Einstein said the the power of compounding interest is the most powerful force in the universe. and you're like, that's an Einstein quote, Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. but the the thing about that is understanding, the monotonous everyday thing. The reason why spiritual disciplines are called that is because they're spiritual. <laughs> it's a discipline. You have yes. to do it every day. And it's not, It—it it is in those moments that something powerful happens almost when you least expect it. And I would imagine as people were listening to you talking about, you really ask those questions of your family every week. How does that not become monotonous? How mm-hmm. is it not a complete eye roll? Well, and understanding that it might, you know, from time to time, there may be some, some feelings of monotony mm. in that. I mean, you know, as we go into the word or it's like, hey, I've, you know, I, how many times have I read this book or this verse or whatever? But draw out a little yeah. bit of that for us. Like, how do you, first of all, do you think that, well, you've already stated you, you, you think that, so uh, <laughs> I, sorry. Um, I, how do you move and understand, you know, the extraordinary within the ordinary?
1: Well, I will tell you that it's, it's response to the ordinary that proves the authenticity to others. Um, so let me say this. I, if I were to ask a married man, will your wife find it monotonous for you to tell her I love you every day? And her answer, and the answer really is, of course she won't, so long as it's sincere. And so, in the same way, how do you make a question or uh, how do you make a question non-momentous or excuse me, non-monotonous to a kid? And the answer is, if they see you change based on the answer they give you. Um, and I think so long as you want to come to somebody and say, how can I serve you better? And if every time you ask it. If every time they ask it and every time you, 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 uh, they answer it, you respond to it, um, people aren't going to find that to be monotonous. They're going to find that hopeful and life-giving and they're going to look forward to it. So I, I, I do think that uh, the way the monotonous becomes miraculous is because Jesus Christ really can continue to work on us and change us. His Holy Spirit is so faithful that when my daughter asks me to grow in patience towards her, that if I ask him, Lord, will you help me grow in patience towards my daughter? Um, although it's not, it's not immediate change, it is miraculous change over time that she sees. Um, and we're able to go back and celebrate that. And uh, that makes her want to not only ask the Lord for things, but it makes her want to respond to questions that I ask her because they actually make a difference. They're actually sincere. So um, when I always tell people like, things only become monotonous when they think that they're the monotony of the thing itself makes no impact. Um, And, uh, but most things will, if you ask the right questions and and
0: respond accordingly. Does that help at all? Helps a ton. Yeah. And I think it'll help most people listening to this. You know, one of the things I've always um, appreciated about you is just whether whatever context you're in you are who you are who you are and so (laughs) man um just thank you for um for being a friend to me for being a friend to lifeway and uh just for investing in your church and your staff and in the kingdom uh thanks so much for for all you do and uh i do think that this podcast and this conversation will will bless a lot of people
1: I hope so. Thanks so much for just leading out in this podcast. I know that there's so many people out there that are just looking for help and looking for encouragement. And I know that every time I tune in, that that's exactly what I get here. So thanks for doing it, Todd.
0: Absolutely.